everybody. Welcome to the first official episode of Can You Hear Us? Uh, a podcast brought to you by the LSE International Development Department via LSE ID SoundCloud. My name is Madeira Dennison, and I'm one of your co-hosts for the show. Hi, and I'm Monica Badiang, and I'm your other co-host for this show. Together with our team, Anna and Kiana, who are also here on Zoom with us, we are current master's students at the LSE International Development Department, and uh, we created this podcast with the goal to promote a network for strong women of color um, that have an interest in the private or public sector in international development consulting. And we would like to create a safe space where we can all discuss a multitude of topics that affect us as women and mostly women of color, professional spaces such as colorism or work-life balance. Great. And Monica, why did we come up with Can You Hear Us? <laughs> Thanks, Madeira. Um, Can You Hear Us comes from the play of words um, in the age of Zoom, essentially. Since we're all on Zoom nowadays, Can You Hear Us is usually what most people ask when technology seems to fail <laughs> in the best of times. But it's also a symbolic way of showing how women and mostly women of color feel unheard in many professional settings as well. And yeah, and we hope to bring you two episodes per theme starting today and hopefully until the end of our academic year. And we'd like to start with the theme of sense of place. But before we get into that, I think that we should probably do some quick introductions of the team. So who wants to go first? I guess I will. My name is Madeira. Um, I am a master's in development studies at, um, at the LSE. I'm originally from America. I have um, she, her pronouns, um, and I am very excited to be here to discuss topics with you all. Hi, I'm Kiana. I'm from Canada, where I currently am right now. I'm also she, her, and I'm studying development management. Hello, I'm Anna. I'm studying development management as well. I'm Mexican, but I'm in London right now. And I go for the pronoun she, her. Hi, I'm Monica. I'm half Spanish, half Taiwanese. I'm also studying development management, and I go by the pronouns she. Great. So now that you've met everyone, I think that we should probably start off kind of bringing up the context of what we're talking about. So we came up with the idea of the theme sense of place in regards to pretty much the way that we uh, describe ourselves as women of color. And although we recognize that women of color doesn't cover everybody, and we also understand that we, the four of us that make up this team don't completely um, make up the entire population of who identifies as a woman of color. We just want to hope to bring to mind the fact that uh, solidarity comes in numbers and women of color kind of creates that. And so I, I kind of want to start off with discussing how that there was this historical importance with the term, in particular with person of color. And, uh, you know, in regards to that, it brought solidarity for a lot of groups to be able to push social movements. So it's centuries old, the word people of color, it actually started from colored people in the United States. And then into the 1970s, it created, it became minorities. And now today we come up with people of color actually. Um, and even though it's uh, kind of seen as being a little bit um, uninclusive in particular with black and indigenous peoples, 
we like to use it to form to be like a form of social like solidarity and this is really important especially in this age where the uh important collective action that must be needed to be done especially with um last year with the killing of george floyd and the continuous um, erasure of anti-blackness that is continuing to happening in the states um, you know we want to make sure that we understand that women of color and people of color can move and work together to make change happen so in this case we want to bring up why we're all we were all brought here together and that's because we are all part of this new society in lse called woco Thank you, Madeira, which is why today we're super honored to have our first guest, which is the founder and president of WOCO, um, Mirabella Polito. Mirabella Polito is the current founder and creator, essentially, of LSE's Association of Women of Color and Consulting, otherwise known as WOCO. And she's also in the Development Management Master's program. So welcome, Mirabella. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be your first guest speaker on this show. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here too. So Mira, I want to first ask you, why did you create WOCO? What is WOCO? Um, so I guess I started Women of Color in Consulting, which is conveniently nicknamed WOCO, because when I first got to England back in mid-September, I was looking at organizations that I wanted to join at the LSE, and there were a number of associations or societies rather that fit parts of my identity, but it didn't really feel whole. Um, there was like women in business, there was mentoring for BAME students, so Black, Asian, minority, ethnic. There were student groups for development and social impact consulting, but there wasn't really anything that encompassed everything that I feel encapsulates my identity. And even though being a woman of color isn't 110% everything that I do and who I am, it is a big part of it. Um, so after looking through the LSC's organizations and not seeing that and looking at the internships I wanted to apply for and realizing that there was actually no one who I knew who looked like me that I could reach out to to solicit advice. That's when I realized that there was actually a big need for this and I definitely couldn't be the only person on campus who felt that kind of isolation. Yeah, no, clearly like you have how many members currently in the organization? Um, we have about 33, I believe. Yeah, and I mean, that's just encompassed of what, a first term and also in the midst of a pandemic. And on yeah. top of that, like word of mouth. And I think that's really incredible. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, and Absolutely. in terms of when, uh, when you talk about how you didn't really feel like there was a place for you here, essentially, was this the first time that you've ever felt this way? Or have you ever had a feeling that you felt like you weren't included, whether it be in school or work? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. There are so many times that I didn't really feel like I was included, but I don't think I was really cognizant of it growing up um, just because I think that you're not really thinking about that of like when you're a child of like identity and space and where your place is and where you belong. Um, 
And part of it with the LSC right now is I think obviously so much of it is happening, virtu happening virtually and it's just so unique in that the people who were able to come to London, like myself, I feel really yeah. privileged for that. A lot of them are from the US or Europe, people who could attain mm -hmm. visa and um, their documentation on time to get here. And we talk about this with my roommates where a lot of the people in the physical classrooms who are missing were Southeast Asians, um, people from South America, Africa. So we're kind of already in these classrooms where it doesn't really look like there are many people who look like me being brown. Um, but growing up, I grew up in the Northeast of the United States in New England. I was born in Southern California where there were a lot of Mexicans, Filipinos, my cousin's family who had emigrated from the Philippines. Um, and then in early elementary school, I moved to Massachusetts, which is predominantly white. It's very Anglo-Saxon colonialist yeah. English um, background. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I don't really feel like there were a lot of people who looked like me. And because I had that contrast of going from Southern California to New England, I noticed it. Um, and in high school, I was one out of around four Asian students in a class of 300 in my high school. So even though I did feel included in terms of having like a social group and a really good friend group and things like that, I didn't entirely feel included in the culture because I couldn't relate to what my like all American peers were like doing and eating, listening to and being at their houses. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that from my own experience, school was never an issue when it came to really feeling close because age was more of the deciding factor. There weren't these social constructs of what I looked like or like what family I came from or how much money my family made. It, at the end of the day, I felt included because we were all in the same class. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, and I, I agree. I mean, I, I come from the United States and I'm black and native. And so there's always this conversation around in my head is like, will I ever get to see anybody that truly looks like me? And in turn, like, will they also feel included in that way? And I think that mm -hmm. it sounds like your feelings have also transcended into this current sphere. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, like, did you feel the same, the same sort of like solidarity and just being in a group of your peers in the same way as you when you moved into the workforce as well? Or was it still kind of a little bit separated? Um, good question. I think that I started realizing more that I was like the one like the token friend of color in groups of white mm -hmm. friends and feeling pretty whitewashed and not really recognizing that I am a person of color and mm -hmm. that kind of identity like elicits different experiences that you don't realize when you're surrounded by so many people who don't look like you when you're the minority. Um, and even throughout college, I went to a public school in Massachusetts where a lot of the people who went there were in-state um, students. So I feel like my school definitely also lacked racial diversity. Um, and most of the people who I knew who ever looked like me were my family and my sister went to the same undergrad college as me. So the time we would spend together, I just didn't realize that that was like 
my the only way my quota was being filled. Um, so during my undergrad, I lived in Brazil, where there was just so much more racial diversity where I was living and the people who I was interfacing with. And that kind of was more of like, okay, this is what this should feel like. Like I can just say these things and be myself and I felt a lot more comfortable. Um, and when I came back to the States from Brazil, I moved to Boston, which still doesn't have that much racial diversity, at least not as much as I'm looking for, but there was still definitely a, a lot more versus where I was in Western Massachusetts. Um, and I worked at MIT for a handful of years and did a grad program at Harvard before coming to the LSC. And just having that kind of exposure to more international students, more people who looked like me, um, definitely a lot more Asians in Boston. And they're still mainly East Asians. I'm still searching for more visibility and diversity of Southeast Asians and Islanders but I'm still really grateful for the time being in the city. And that's also really what pushed me to want to come to London was just having kind of like more and know, now that I know what it feels like and what it could look like and the way that I feel in these spaces, um, I'm becoming a lot more cognizant of just like representation in spaces. Yeah, so that's why you did WOCO, right? Like that's the whole point. Yeah, definitely. and. It, it just became more and more apparent to me that there are so few spaces that have women of color. And we say this at our meetings, like it's just amazing to look into this Zoom room and see these squares on our screen where everyone identifies as a woman of color. And that's just so rare. Like you never see that happen naturally in spaces, at least not where I was in Boston. And it's really rewarding to have like created this space, but see that there's so much interest from other people who want similar spaces. Yeah, totally agree. I wanted to ask with all your experience going from California to um, the East Coast, then going to Brazil, now London. And then like you mentioned, being in a Zoom room with, with people from all over the place, how does that shape and define women of color for you and and how is that seen through WOCO? Oh wow good question. Um, I think that what I really wanted was just for people to have a space where if they identify in that way then they're welcome to join. Um, I also spent time growing up in the Philippines. I went to elementary school partially there and there's a photo of me with all of my classmates in private school and we're all wearing the same uniform. We all had to wear the same shoes, have the same haircut kind of thing. And you can't tell which one I am right away, obviously. <laughs> um, and then, and I'm just like, I was used to that. Like everyone kind of looks the same. We all identify in the same way. And then going to and living in other places where people look a lot different but can still identify in the same way and looking at um, the women who are in WOCO and seeing us on the screen is we don't look similar but we all have the commonality of we feel like we have unique experiences because of the way that we look and pass in society and regardless of 
how light or dark your skin is or the texture of your hair, something, uh, there is a range of experiences, but we all feel comfortable sharing that with each other. And I think that's really special and that there's so much difference in background and appearance, but it was a space that everyone felt comfortable in joining and there's solidarity in that. And I think that's really wonderful that people feel comfortable sharing that with each other. Yeah. Totally. And so in that case, why did you think that creating a space like this was important in the, the span, the spectrum that is international development? I think that just in general, in the professional world, there are so many spaces where women of color's voices are excluded. Um, and the work that we do in international development is typically serving the community or it really impacts the community, hopefully on local levels. And at least that's what is what I'm interested in. And in so many of those communities, it's usually women who are doing so much of the work. Um, and in the work that we do in international development, we're always kind of looking from like a macro bird's eye view, um, but not really looking at who our work really affects and thinking about who is on the ground and will be like accepting these changes that we are the ones who want to make. Um, so I think that it's really important to recognize like the diversity of voices and people who have agency to make the changes that we can hopefully influence in the professional sphere. Um, and I also think that our voices are so important in international development because within academia, there's so much talk of like decolonize academia. Um, and I feel like very few times we actually see like real action manifest from that. And I think that by creating this space where we feel comfortable to ideate with each other, that can hopefully create ripple effects and we can actually enact some change at least within our own institution and with each other, feeling like we can connect with each other um, and then bring that to the work that we do. Yeah, what, what sort of issues do you see in like the professional space of international development? Like you're, you're saying that like there is a lot of, um, there's a need for us to have voices. Like, can you give, do you have any examples? It doesn't have to be your own experience, obviously, but do you have any examples of um, where women in particular women of color or like we could describe them even as people women that are from the global south in one way right like how mm -hmm. how how have you heard of experiences through woco where people felt like they weren't being heard and what kind of experiences were they um even just i think within our own consultancy projects in this in the development management program so many of my friends who I've spoken to just talk about they end up getting like the logistical back end administrative tasks rather than being like being able to spend the time that and energy that they want doing like the research or the analysis um and that's like the real bulk of what our projects entail is this analysis, but people don't realize how much work goes into the planning and these like little, quote unquote, little administrative things that make our projects run. Um, and even though that's not directly tied just to international development, I think that just 
is so representative of what we see in the professional sphere of like women are kind of expected to be like the caretakers and like take on these extra burdens of like work that people don't see or don't recognize to be important um and that's happened and i've seen that way before even starting my consultancy project um but it's just really not even shocking like i can't even really say i'm surprised but just like seeing it again in this kind of development work where we're talking about like women empowerment or like empowering people of color and then seeing who the burden falls onto to like keep the cogs turning smoothly and people don't always recognize mm -hmm. is just like so much more apparent apparent to me and it's just yeah. like it's it's so kind of like hypocritical to the work mm -hmm. that we're doing and it's it's just happening again and again mm -hmm. yeah no it is mm -hmm. it is and i feel like that is kind of the history of international development in some ways as well you know is that and and also in that case, also the future, like is is that we're kind of creating that um, sort of space. I hope where we feel that we can actually provide or know that we can provide um, assistance or help or or proper analysts and analysis of what's going on in the world and how these huge problems of poverty that kind of actually directly affect us more so on a personal level. Um, how they can change and shift. Um, so mm -hmm. I think I think I agree with you completely. No, absolutely. I wanted to touch on the point which you just mentioned, which I think is also about how women and especially women of color have to work tenfold to be undeniable. You have to work not to be denied things. And it happens from a very young age and it could be because you're the only one in the photo that doesn't mm -hmm. look the same in primary school. And that can change in different contexts. Different people have different experiences. But the one thing is everyone comes out being undeniable, not wanting to be denied, less X, Y, and Z, <laughs> to say the least. So I just wanted to know as well how we're not only creating stronger women together, but lessening the burden maybe of having to be undeniable because it gives us a space where maybe um, women of colour feel that they can be themselves. They don't have to mm -hmm. be doing all the work for everyone and themselves mm -hmm. as well. And I wanted to know if that was also one of the aspects that made you create WOCO or like drew you to creating such a safe, safe space essentially. Mm, thank you, well, good question. Yeah, something that, one of the main reasons why I wanted to create WOCO was yes, like I wanted us to have a place where we could like network with each other, like, have this community lift each other up but also just a space even within grad school or beyond where you don't feel like you always have to be on and like have your and do like code switching and everything that goes on in your day-to-day -day. Um, and when I was creating the programming and still doing this for what our meetings look like and thinking of oh professional development workshops oh good speakers this and that a lot of what the women want is just like time to talk with each other mm -hmm. and just chat. And I think that's so telling of what people at, at least within our group are looking for is just time where they don't have to constantly be on. Um, and I agree with what you said, Monica, of 
women of color having to work 10 times harder to kind of get what they want. And I say this with my friends who are people of color as well, where it kind of feels sometimes like people of color have to work just in general 10 times harder to get to the same standard at which we hold Mm -hmm. other people who have privilege, whether it be Mm -hmm. privilege by race or by gender, how you present. Um, And within our club, in the chat, in the meetings, it's just refreshing to be with everyone and not have to feel like we're constantly kind of like performing in a way. Um, One person in the club messaged me and was saying like, these are the only Zoom meetings where I leave the meeting actually feeling better and like feeling refreshed. And I definitely feel the same way. And that's really what I was looking for (laughs) with making the club was just a place where we can just be ourselves. Um, And even though it was created with the intention of um, providing like professional development support and networking and job opportunities that we probably wouldn't have otherwise found out, it's turned into so much more of just people expressing themselves in the way that they should be able to all the time in every space, but unfortunately can't. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's amazing. And I think in a way, it's Thank you. funny. <laughs> no, of course, it's funny because it's like, it's your experience that has shaped you to create this, right? And so it's like very full circle in that sense of like you being undeniable at all stages um, and all levels in your life, which is very inspirational, I think. Oh, thank you. I definitely, I definitely don't think I have been undeniable or have had that kind of like energy or thoughts throughout my life for sure. I have had definite low points and like feeling self-conscious and low self-esteem because of the way that I look. Um, and how much I just like wanted to belong in groups of friends mm-hmm. where I was clearly an outsider. But I think that that struggle can be seen as difficult as it was. Sometimes I think of it as my privilege because it shaped me so much to want to create things growing up where there is more representation because I struggled so hard with that growing up and sometimes even now. Yeah. And I would argue that that's being undeniable because you're not letting anything stop you and it's shaped you in, into this and, and Wilco essentially, which is oh. pretty amazing. Thank you. I'm glad that it can be of help to people. Just, I, I'm sure we've all experienced this, but just like sometimes the loneliness of feeling this way. And so many of our members are from like multicultural backgrounds or our third culture kids, even for myself being 100% Filipino and looking that way, but growing up in the US and then going back to the Philippines for school, being seen as like the American girl. And I was like, but I'm Filipino. And just, and then going to the US and everyone's like, oh, you're not white. And I'm like, but I grew up here too. And like, just feeling sometimes like you don't belong in any place. And for our members and a lot of the LSE, um, like student demographic who have had similar experiences, I'm just glad that we can come together and share that. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. And I think that it makes, it makes the experience of doing a program that is hopefully going to push us in a way to understand the the ideas and the the I guess the complexity 
of international development in a way that maybe isn't seen by other people that have those similar experiences or have different mm -hmm. ones. And I think that's really important at the end of the day is that, yeah, it just gives us a chance to actually show up and have people, dare I say it, hear us, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I love that even within the group, there's like, we're all looking toward the same goal of international development or consulting or just succeeding, quote unquote, whatever that may mean in the professional world. But I like how there's not really like a layer of competition with each other. If one of us finds um, a job opportunity, everyone's so quick to share it with everyone. I love that people share like interview tips from their own interviews yeah. for the next person to use that to their advantage. And I just think that there's so much like power in us lifting each other up. Like we all want each other to like be on the come up. And I think that's so great. Like no one's holding each other back because we've all seen the disadvantages of being a woman of color and we just want each other to succeed. Agreed, agreed. And I think that this is really important when we talk about um, even imposter syndrome. Um, I know that we were discussing an article that came out in Equality Matters that cited that lean in which focuses on women in the workplace, that women are less likely to be hired and promoted to manager positions, but then also that shows for every 100 men bought onto teams and elevated to management, only 72 women experience the same thing. And then on top of that, uh, men hold 62% of these manager level positions. And although one third of the companies that Lean In surveyed set gender representation targets for first level manager roles, 41% of them didn't even have senior levels of management. And that is in regard to the fact that like women don't apply for these positions specifically because they feel like they don't fit in or have that sense of safe. Um, and I don't know, have you ever had imposter syndrome? I know I have. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there must be a time where uh, almost everyone felt that way. And I don't know if it's because we're in like a hyper competitive school right now. Sometimes I feel, I don't know entirely how I feel about the term imposter syndrome. I, sometimes I feel like it, it's like a, like a fancy way of being like, I'm smart and I know that I'm smart, but everyone else here is smart. And you're, it's like kind of like you're putting yourself up, but you're also putting yourself down. Like it's like a backhanded compliment to yourself. Yeah. Um, and I definitely have felt that way, but I didn't know so much of it's of if it's like I don't belong here in terms of like intelligence or success or what's on my CV. Um, so for me, more it's like I think I've used it more as a way to actually like affirm myself of me not having the same background as everybody else. For example, something that sometimes it, I think is a big part of my experience is that I went to public school. Um, for almost the entirety of my life, except for when I went to private Catholic school in the Philippines, which was like my family's kind of really only option for me to go to school in the Philippines. But the, yeah, for my, the rest of my life, essentially, I went to public school and like I went to 
a public school in the States and coming here to the LSE where a lot of people went to private school or like even in my grad program at Harvard, that wasn't the case. And I feel like those differences in my background that would normally give me or other people imposter syndrome actually made me feel prouder of where I came from. Like I didn't go to private school or have these fellowships or have these internships, but I still made it to the same place as everyone else. And for that reason, I feel sometimes like I have less imposter syndrome, but um, my sister got a Fulbright scholarship and she did research in the Philippines and everyone was asking her like, oh, what's your methodology or what's your favorite research method, this and that. And she was like, I just really don't feel like I belong sometimes in my cohort. And then just like reaffirming her that like, you did the same amount of work that everyone else did just in a different like, it's not even non-traditional because we're still privileged to have gone to like had a college experience which so many people don't but I think that it's those um like differences where we usually put ourselves down that are actually so telling of like we do deserve to be here even if we didn't have the same privileges or experiences as everyone else yeah agreed agreed and I think one of the major impacts that they kind of cite about imposter syndrome, which I think is telling with what your sister, her, your sister's experience was, is that the lack of role models, like having someone to look up with to, mm -hmm. is really hard for marginalized people. And so, you know, in some ways you feel like you're not advancing correctly or in the right way because you don't have anybody to really look up to. Yes. Um, you know, so that's I think such that, a good point, you know, so I think, I think that that can also play a really big role in I think that that's probably why a lot of people and, and, and in particular, a lot of black and brown and bodies feel that they don't fit because mm -hmm. they just don't see themselves in the professional sphere that they're in. Yes, so, that's yeah. such a good point. And that's also so much of what I wanted WOCO to be is just there's such a lack of visibility and for of women of color in the professional sphere. And if you don't know what it looks like for a woman of color to like come up and succeed regardless of where their background is, it's so hard for you if you share that identity to visualize it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's so much harder to be affirmed when it doesn't look like anyone else is, has gone through the same things that you have. Yeah. And that's why I think this is so important. And again, so much of what we're trying to do is like create visibility for women of color, because there are so many of us and it's just shocking that we never see it. Yeah, Like it's not for a lack of determination or like lack of opportunities. It's just who we highlight in these fields. And more often than not, it's not a woman of color unless a company is like working on its DEI efforts and it's and it's um like brand yeah agreed and maybe yeah. it needs to be a conversation about um how these fields can change in a way that would uh, allow or not necessarily accommodate but allow for more marginalized communities to feel like they actually have a role or a say in these things like you know I think of the financial sector and probably I, I don't know a statistic but I don't know a lot of marginalized people that choose to go into finances and partially it's partly that there's like a wealth gap you know and and on top of that too even even just like under financial literacy is so low 
in some capacity, you know, from even from my personal experience. And so I, I think that there's definitely, I think that there's means to grow on both sides. And I hope that, you know, the professional world can learn to enhance navigating this sort of idea. I do think it's interesting because it ties with um, the literature as well on the old boys club and how that affects women's confidence in the workplace and accessing certain jobs as well or promotions and all that. And um, yeah, and I was just wondering, should we just be addressing the fact that there's just an old boys club, but it is also for a certain type of men, right? Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't just have an equivalent of an all girls club. There should be all girls yeah. club for for women of color, for, you know, different experiences yeah. as well. So we can learn from each other and grow as well, which is why I think Wilco is like overall. And I was just wondering, Mirabella, how do you think this will look like in the long term? Like, what are the aims for Wilco? long term after the LSE once we all hopefully start working yeah. oh well I definitely hope there is longevity in the group just in general even after we graduate and our programs are only one year I hope that it's something that um, can live on and continue for people who join in the coming years to also have the same community um, I'm still working on a way to facilitate that with the department that there will be some leadership. It's, it's always hard with clubs to transfer leadership and um, make sure that everything can continue in the way that you want it to if you are going to be a little bit more hands off. But just in terms of like long term impact, I guess, where we're talking about um, like all boys clubs at in mm -hmm. jobs and this um, there's I forget what the exact numbers are, but it's something that like, if men see a job description, if they have 50% of the requirements or the qualifications, they'll still apply. And then women will see it and they won't apply unless they have like 95 to 100% of their, their requirements. So I hope that being in this space just makes people feel more confident in being with each other and like sharing these experiences more honestly of women being like, oh, I don't have all this experience, but I'm still gonna apply and I'm still gonna try. You should still try too. And I hope that that just empowers people to go for opportunities where they normally wouldn't think that they were welcome mm -hmm. to do so. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like part of the power of us all being together is we all are hardworking and ambitious and brilliant. And now that we're exposed to each other in a network, in a group, in a room where we're speaking with each other openly and honestly, and just sharing, people are being really open with like, yeah, you should totally apply for that. I did. Why not? Like, yeah, I added that to my LinkedIn. You should too. I don't know why you don't think it's a valid enough experience or like, yeah, you should keep that on there even if it was only three months and just having people being so like, not necessarily unfiltered, but their conversations you wouldn't think you could normally have with people yeah. if you weren't connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that I hope has some long-term impact. I sure hope it does too. And what about your future? What are what are you looking forward to? Oh in goodness! The coming term. <laughs> in the coming term, I'm just looking forward to 
keeping my head above water um, and hopefully finishing um, and obviously looking for jobs, which has been so comforting again to have community with all of these other, not just women, women of color, but also just students looking for jobs in this economy um, has been really helpful. But yeah, for the next coming months, and it's been pretty hard to plan for the past <laughs> year. I'm sure everyone feels similarly. Yep. But yeah, I'm just going to try to keep on going, doing my best. Um, and again, just looking forward to the kind of things that we can create with each other and just having the support network throughout this time has been so helpful for me. And I hope to, that it's been the same for everyone else. Just one, I don't know if it's it'll be. What is there? Why international development for you? Like, what is the next step in international development? Like, jobs aside, what is the bigger oh. picture? Ah, good question. I always, I, this is the question that I need to work on in interviews. Is like, where do you sell, see yourself in five years? Um, this and that. Um, mainly for me, I think definitely with my background of being from the Philippines, but then growing up in the U.S. Um, and they're so stark, starkly contrasted. Um, I just realized that I'm in such a position of privilege where um, the place where I live and grew up being the States, so much of the decisions that they make in terms of like policy or even just like pop culture impacts so much of the world. Um, and right now my current interest is in helping island nations like the Philippines better prepare for natural disasters. Um, just because there's such a lack of disaster preparedness. Um, and also with my identity, aside from being a woman of color of being a millennial and feeling so like charged up about climate change, but not knowing enough about it or how to combat it or how to take real actionable steps to help people who are actually affected by it um, has led me to being interested in international development, um, mainly because I did some community work in Boston for about two or three years. Um, and I just wanted to learn how to do it more ethically. And I started learning more about climate justice, which I feel like is so rarely talked about. So I hope to work with um, organizations in the Philippines that are helping with disaster risk reduction, but my interests change like every six months. But for now, I'm just really interested in learning how to do international development work more ethically and thinking more about who um, is at stake when yeah. people at the top are making yeah. Sounds super interesting. Let us oh. know how it goes. <laughs> we'll see. I, I'm still learning so much. Um, and this program has actually been so disorienting of so much that I thought that I knew um, and just being more realistic with what I think is actually feasible for myself. So yeah, I'm, I'm also excited to see where it goes. That's great. That's great. Yeah, no, I think we're also very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. So for our last segment of the podcast, we like to end it with a bit of a wheel of fortune game. 
where we've put a couple of absolutely random questions going from what Harry Potter house you're in, if you're in one, to your morning routine. And we hope that our guests, <laughs> thank you. We hope that our guests would like to participate um, in answering these Are we also answering questions. them? Sorry, we're also answering them too. I'm excited um, too. Or do you want? To? Yes. Yeah, okay. okay cool. <laughs> All right. So I'll just share my screen. Oh, fun. Right. Here we go. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like the most social interaction I've had all week. This is so fun. <laughs> oh. So the question is, who or what is your biggest inspiration at the moment? Oh, always my biggest inspiration. This is my role model um, is Rihanna. <laughs> she <laughs> has everything she does everything she touches turns to gold and I just admire her so much for that like she takes up space everywhere like in the music industry in fashion with Fenty with beauty and just so much that she does with representation and she's always so genuinely herself she's also an advocate for like domestic abuse and has come out and shared her own experiences I think that's so amazing and then the biggest thing with starting the Clara Lionel Foundation um, and she's also from Barbados there are just so many things that she does and with her background. And that for me is visibility. Um, and why that's why I look up to her so much. And she's just successful in whatever she does by being herself and thinking about the people around her. And I think that's so amazing. Like the work that she's doing um, just inspires me and seeing her, like we were talking about people don't have mentors. Not that Rihanna is my mentor, but in my head, she is. Um, she can be your mentor. I'm sure <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, no, she's definitely my biggest inspiration. What about you? No, I think I, I can't really come up with a, a, a good inspiration because honestly, Rihanna kind of encapsulates the, <laughs> the, the theme too well for this podcast. So I will, I will not share. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we're a bit of a beat all of our inspiration. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you I sold idolized. it so well. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. idolize her. Like if I could see myself doing something in the future I would love to work at the um, Clara Lionel Foundation just so much of the work that they're doing is what we're interested in with international development but with the group of people that they're doing it with I just really admire the work so yeah that that would be a dream <laughs> yeah it's good An amazing reply <laughs> yeah so we're back to the wheel you're listening there's a virtual wheel on the screen that is for <laughs> random fun questions oh oh a quick one easy you think okay yeah. well I'd like to hear from everyone else actually on this one what is your Hogwarts house I was never like a huge huge Harry Potter fan but I pretended that I was to be part of the cultural zeitgeist that was like <laughs> the early-ish um 2000s to like 2010 I was eight when it first came out but um I have obviously done sorting hat tests and I can't remember what any of the answers are and I also don't know enough about Harry Potter I think but if I were in Hogwarts house which is what the question is I honestly think I'm Slytherin <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like 
okay, they're not all evil, although I am myself, I think a little evil, but they're, they got, <laughs> they got loyalty to each other in the, in the best and in the worst times, I think. Um, and they are still bright. They're very smart, depends on how they use it. But I think that that's where I am a little bit of darkness sometimes can be a bit cynical, but I think I'm realistic. Is that fitting? Is that enough Potter, Potter information? Is that right? I think that's good. I think, yeah, I think it's great. I think it fully incorporates the fact that sometimes we join or are into things that everyone else likes to fit in, which mm. relates to this <laughs> podcast theme. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. What are we doing now? What was next? Sorry. Oh, we just wanted to know if there was something you would like to shout out, either an important current event or... Um, something that's important to you that you would like to let our audience know hopefully we have an audience <laughs> oh uh, a shout out um I just want to say it is February early February of 2021 and I just want to recognize everyone who is still working hard and doing their best with these expectations that we're supposed to be performing and outputting at the same rate as which what has been done in the past. And that's actually really not humanly possible. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just want to acknowledge everyone who is still trying to find resilience in times where our, it's okay to have resilience run out and the fatigue is so real. So I just want to acknowledge that and also say a huge thank you to the four of you for organizing this and also creating a space for people to share their experiences. So much work has gone into this on your side and I don't know how you've managed to create all of this again with the workload that we have as full-time students and extracurriculars and also being like just good people in your personal lives with partners and family and friends and making time for yourselves so I'm just so in awe of you creating this with everything that I'm saying about the backlog of work and feeling fatigued this has just been such a highlight of <laughs> this year, 2021, to share with you all and just laugh and be ourselves. So thank you. No, thank you, Mirabella. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for thinking that we're doing well. <laughs> you are. <laughs> we're all doing our best. We are. We are all doing our best. We are. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, especially on such short notice. It was really lovely to have you here for such a great conversation. We'd like to thank our guest, Mirabella, our listeners, as well as our team, and the LSE ID department communications team, especially Ms. Deepa Patel that has helped us realize this entire project, and finally Igor Kabad for providing the logo. We all hope that you join us soon for our next episode. Bye! <laughs>